Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Last week was a rough Sunday for me. I got sick Friday night. My, my wife is an amazing nurse. She has a 24-hour rule. She locks me in my room for 24 hours until I'm okay. And 24 hours later, I was not okay. 4.47, I'm calling Andrew and said, dude, you need to help me, man. I'm sorry. I knew someone was speaking up in West Milford. And I turned on at 10.30 and I watched the plants. So... If you're not here, you can dial in with us on YouTube. Go to our site, YouTube, The Plant Church, and subscribe. And when you subscribe, you will be able to watch us every single Sunday. But he did a great job. Let's give him a hand, right? You should have the freedom to go check out what God is doing in West Milford. And yes, I gave him an extra day off this week. I'm like, man, I'll give you a free day. Just... Just please help me out. He's like, I got your back. So it was good. What's up, Marco? How are you, buddy? It's good to see you, man. Good. Awesome. <laughs> he, he gets a hand. What's up? I just love Marco. So cool. Awesome. So this morning, we are starting another mini series through Mark. And I have loved watching what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your life through Mark. This may be one of the most intense series we have had at the plant, but it's probably been one of the most responsive series. Uh, people from all different stages of their faith keep coming up to me and say, I got to be honest with you, the last several months have changed me. They're changing me. They're shaping me. They're molding me. And so today we are starting another mini series and we're calling it Upside Down. Now, I will get to that in my conclusion, but today we're going to ask a really hard question of each of us, and not just a question for you, but a question that I've been asking myself for years and years and years. We all have heroes, right? Everyone have a hero, right? Anyone have a superhero? Raise your hand. You got a superhero? Who's your favorite superhero? Someone just call it out. Spider-Man, Spider right? <laughs> Sp that was quick. Nice. You two are really quick. Anyone else? Spidey. Who else? Rob Parker? Oh, you're the best. What the? Come on. Dude, I love you. I could cry. That was like a moment. I quit. I'm done. My life is over. Lorraine has known my family really our whole life, forever. Her, her uh, sons were coached by my father in basketball. So, wow, that just made my day. I'm going to cry. So, okay, now I got to regroup myself. So we all, have, we all have heroes, superheroes. As a little boy, I had a hero, and his name was the Lone Ranger. Now, some of you remember the Lone Ranger. First service, probably not as many. They're a little bit younger crowd, but I love the Lone Ranger for a couple reasons. One, Tonto. Being Cherokee Indian, I have an affinity for just the native culture. My great-grandfather is 100%, and so, like, I latched on to that heritage like no tomorrow. Every single activity in school we did was about the Cherokee Indians, and so did my children do the very same thing. And my poor wife, who is Italian and Dutch, says, what about me? What about me? So I love the whole idea of the Lone Ranger because Tonto saves 
the Lone Ranger. And after he saves this guy who was once a Texas Ranger, he goes out and he just goes throughout the Wild West, basically rescuing small towns, basically rescuing communities that were being overtaken by bandits. Like who even uses that word anymore? Bandits. And so he would go in and when he would first show up because he was masked, everyone thought he was the bad guy, right? But they realized he was the one that came to rescue them. And when he left, there was a little slogan they would always say, who was that masked man? No matter who it is, Spidey, Batman, Superman, the Lone Ranger, you name it, Every hero does not want their identity revealed, correct? And every time it is revealed, it's a spoiler. And the rest of their superhero days is living in fear of being found out. And the question is, who was that masked man? Here's what we're going to do this morning. Today, we are just going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to ask a question that Jesus asked his disciples Who do people say I am? You see, the heroes of our days don't want to be found out. But we know about Jesus that his view of a hero is completely right side up. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. And God, I thank you for just that baby dedication. What what a great, great celebration. God, I do ask you that you would bless Joe and Leah to just be amazing parents I'm so thankful that they have this child and looking forward to what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, this morning, I ask you that you would do a beautiful work, beautiful work in each of our hearts. I ask you, Holy Spirit, for the things that have kept us from truly, truly knowing you, that those walls would be broken down and you would do something beautiful and definitive. Beautiful and definitive. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, 27 through 33. I will say this, that Mark chapter 8, the whole chapter, is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. It's one of those chapters that actually changed my life because it made me ask some of the hardest questions about God and about Christ that I had to come to a conclusion with. And so when you get to Mark 8, it's a very interesting place. Because it's leading up to chapter 9, of course, which is really the ending of Jesus' ministry. And you're getting to chapter 11 when all of a sudden it's Holy Week. Holy Week. Five solid chapters. Six solid chapters of Holy Week, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And so really a third of Mark is dedicated to his death and resurrection. But when you get to Mark chapter 8, there's this definitive of some really, really hard moments Jesus has with people. Some big questions that he asks of people. And this is one of them. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? 
Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So when you get to that first verse, chapter 27, Jesus is on a journey with his disciples. And he's going a long way around to get to his destination. And he purposely stops in Caesarea Philippi. Now, when you see Jesus throughout all the Gospels and he's traveling to all these different locations, there are multiple times that he takes the long way. Whenever we see that he traveled through Samaria, that was not the right way. It was the long way because he always had something that he wanted to teach his disciples in that spot. And we see this throughout the Gospels, that there's multiple times that Jesus could have taken a completely different route, but he took a completely different path because he wanted to teach his disciples something. As much as he wanted to meet the woman at the well, he was teaching his disciples a deep spiritual truth. And so now you get the Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus goes all the way out of his way before his destination Because he wants to teach his disciples about something. So why Caesarea of Philippi? Philippi. Philip was the son of King Herod. And King Herod named that area after his son. And so what his son Philip had done was he constructed a temple to be worshipped there to worship his father. Because remember this. Back in the day, kings were godified. Kings were made this whole idea of of immortals. And so we see this with Pharaoh, right? They built what? Right? What did they build? Pyramids. And so those were actual temples. They weren't just these, these places that were like a graveyard. They were temples that things were stored into. And so when Jesus shows up, they would have seen a temple being built to Herod. But then he kept walking. And he would have came to a place called Panias. Panias. It was the place where the god Pan was worshipped. So, Tumnus. Anyone hear of Tumnus, right? Narnia, Tumnus, right? Tumnus was what? Half? No one knows. Narnia, seriously? Anyone graduate? I almost didn't graduate, but didn't you guys graduate? Right? (laughs) Tumnus. He was half human, and he was half goat. He was half human and half goat. And so Pan was this mythical God. He was the God of herders and shepherds. He was also known, check this out, to be the God of anxiety. Did you know that? Like seriously, whenever you read the mythical stories, whenever there was anxiety that came amongst the gods, it was always pain. And so there was this fear for shepherds and herders, that they had to completely and always worship Pan or Pan would never appease the other gods so that their herds and their flocks would grow and multiply. And so if you go to Panias, there's this beautiful waterfall. And look, at the, look this up online. Go to Panias, the waterfall of Panias. And there's this beautiful rock where water would come shooting out into this lagoon-type area, and it would go all the way down into the Jordan River. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Look it up. And people would go to this rock structure, and they would worship Pan 
Because Pan would magically take care of all of their anxieties and problems. And to this day, to this day, there are still structures of Pan there. Now, Pan wasn't this like, like simple, creative, mythological God that people made up. He's actually very demonic. And I'll use that word, very, very demonic. Very much a sexual type of, of God that people would worship. There's a lot of demonic stuff that was wrapped around Pan and worshiping Pan. And so when Jesus takes his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, he's walking around. He sees a, a temple being constructed to Herod. He comes to the rock with water flowing out, going into the Jordan River, which, which has a lot of biblical symbolism, right? The Jordan River has a ton of biblical symbolism. And he's walking around with his disciples. And his disciples are like, why did we take the long way again? Why didn't we take the shortcut? What's Jesus want to speak to us? And he's walking around, and you could see everyone looking and probably having side conversations. And he stops. And he has his disciples around, and he says, who do people say I am? Think about that. He wants to know what people are saying about Jesus. Now, this is very interesting, because this is not Jerusalem. This is not Bethany. This is not Bethphage where this is a really high Jewish culture. But people have been hearing about Jesus. They've seen Jesus. They have connected with Jesus. And he asked the question, who do people say I am? And the disciples speak up. We don't know which one said which. Some said, some said John the Baptist. Some said Elijah. And others said one of the other prophets. So this is significant because people knew that there was something divine or divinely connected to Jesus. It's like this morning. I read John chapter 9 for my own personal Bible reading time. John chapter 9 is about the man who was born blind. Jesus does this really kind of a, a bizarre miracle. He spits and he makes mud and he puts it on, on this man's eyes and his eyes opened up. And people say, who healed you? He says, I don't know. I think one of the prophets. And then Jesus finds him later on in John chapter 9. I think it's about 38 or, or, or 39, verse 38 or 39. And Jesus says, do you know who healed you? And he says, I don't know. He says, do you know who the Son of Man is? He goes, tell me. And he says, the one standing before you. So there's a spiritual hunger that people want to know who Jesus is. So John the Baptist, couldn't be John the Baptist because he was Jesus' cousin. And so Jesus and John the Baptist hung out a lot, family parties, growing up, even interactions throughout his ministry. So it wasn't like Superman and Clark Kent. Jesus wasn't John the Baptist. One minute he's Jesus, one minute he's John the Baptist, one minute he's Jesus, one minute he's John the Baptist. No, these were two different individuals. And many times people would see the two of them together. What about Elijah? Well, think about the Old, Old Testament prophets. What did the Old Testament prophets do? They call down hell, fire, brimstone. And yes, there were times that Jesus would call out hell, fire, and brimstone, but towards who? Pharisees, Sadducees, zealots, scribes, teachers of the law. He never walked into Samaria and said, fire is going to fall. 
the community's going to burn. No, he brought love and grace and mercy. So he wasn't one of them. Or maybe he was a, another prophet, not knowing who he was. And so he's looking around, and he asked the question, who do people say I am? So I love that we are in this location, Route 202. We were up at the middle school over eight years ago, and someone came to us and said, hey, there's a church down the road. What would you think about meeting there? I said, talk to their board. If we can, we would love to. If you don't talk to your board, I will not talk to them. We are not going to do a coup and take over a church. God has called our church right here wherever he wants us. Well, eight years later, the church invited us. Well, really, the authorities of the church invited us to rent from here. But from that first day that someone invited us to start thinking and praying about this church, I drove down here. And so if you drive down Ridge Road to the cross-section of 202, and you look across the street... There's one of the largest Hindu temples in the Holy Coast, right? Hindu, Hindu Samaj. Then you look across the street, and there's a synagogue, right? A Jewish synagogue, a Reformed Jewish synagogue. And then right here, you had a Lutheran church, then turns into the plant, and no one knows what the plant is. They're still trying to figure us out. And so every single day, cars are going back and forth, 202. And every single day, people are thinking, who is God? Pretty cool, right? Hey, mommy, what's that big structure over there? Hey, mommy, what's that, that medium-sized structure over there? How are they different than this church? And so when I think about cultural context, in our cultural context, we are having people ask the very same question yet a different time because people are always asking the question, what do you think about God? Do you think yourself's a God? Do you believe in a deity? Do you believe in one of the four major religions and outside the four major religions that encompass most of the world and Christianity is the most followed world religion, there are over 9,000 other religions. Did you know that? On top of it, atheism. So there's a lot of confusion. Who do people say Jesus is? And it was a fair question. It was the right question. And this is an important question because how we answer this question determine so much. How we view ourselves, how we view others, how we view the world, how we choose our values, and how we view eternity. Look at those. Our understanding of God, of Jesus, literally determines those. Put those up there again. Let, let them just sit up there for, for a moment. How we view ourselves how we view others, how we view the world, how we choose our values, and how we view eternity. And it's the same question 
that Jesus was asking them, that he's asking us, the reader, it's the very same reason why Mark chose this passage to be part of his narrative to explain Jesus Christ. The first thing that Mark does in the very beginning of the book, verse 1, he declares who Jesus is to him. And throughout all the book, he explains scenarios, examples, power encounters, truth encounters, and then definitive teaching, teaching moments of who Jesus is. And so, he asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Are you afraid of that question? Are you afraid to engage in that question? Are you afraid if someone really said, like, tell me what you really believe about God? Like, seriously, I want to know. And I will say this, when people ask such an intimate question, they want to know what you really believe, not what they want to hear. Even though you often give them the answer they want to hear, they actually want to know, like, what do you believe? Because most times, they don't have an understanding, and they're trying to wrap their head around it, so they're saying, help me process through. So Jesus says, bless you. He didn't say bless you. Jesus did not say bless you. He asks them, who do people say I am? But then the real question is asked, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And the only reason why Peter is mentioned is because he's the first one to jump up and give the response. If Thomas was the first, we'd be talking about Thomas, right? If Matthew was the first, we'd be talking about Matthew. But Peter jumps up and he's like, you are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the king of kings. You are the one that was talked about in Isaiah. You are the one that was prophesied in Genesis. You are the one that Daniel had spoken about. You are the Messiah. And when you look at Peter's journey, this is where we need to be fair to everyone. We live in this culture, this, this Christian culture, where like you have to have the answer right now, right now, right now. It's almost like a magic prayer. Like if you say this magic prayer, then you get salvation and you get the golden ticket and you get to go to heaven. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Right? That's kind of how we think about it. But when you see Peter's life, you see these moments, Kairos moments, these divine encounters. You've heard me preach about Kairos moments for years. These divine encounters where Jesus invites us to question who I am who you are in light of him. And we see Peter, from the beginning of the gospel, towards the end of Jesus' ministry, there are all these little moments where who Jesus is becomes made more and more clear. You are the Lord. You are the Messiah. Get away from me. I'm a sinful human being. And you see these moments with Peter that all of a sudden, that in this moment, it's like, this is the moment of clarity. Peter gets it. It's done. It's over with. 
He finally grasps all of Jesus. And we want people to have that same experience. That there's this moment that people are like, I get it. I fully grasp it. And and Peter makes this declaration of who Jesus is. So let me ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say Jesus is? See, when I talk about who Jesus is, I want Jesus to tell me who he is. I don't want anyone else. Do I get an uh uh-huh? Right, that's a Jersey amen, Uh uh-huh, right? I want want Jesus to tell me who he is. And when I look at the words of Jesus, and I'm not taking this textbook style, I'm taking that when I study the words of Jesus, this is who Jesus tells me he is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. When When I was studying, this is just something that I wrote down. Jesus has come to save you, save me from all things that make me and you emotionally and spiritually lost, dead. Jesus has come to save me, to rescue me from everything that has made me emotionally and spiritually dead. Jesus is my savior. When you've had a moment that you know that you've been spiritually saved, rescued from yourself, and from others, you have like this Peter moment, like, a, aha, I get it. He came for me that I can be in a relationship with him and I can be growing in a way that I am no longer wandering out around lost and isolated. Is Jesus your savior? Do you recognize that you were spiritually lost or spiritually dead and Jesus stepped in and he just found you? November 6th, 1991 was the beginning when the door opened for me. It was the door where, where like Peter, I had my first moment, not my last moment, but my first moment where, where Jesus was Savior. And then Jesus says, he says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is what Jesus says. You want to experience the greatest life you've ever had? Stay connected to me. I found you, stay connected to me. How many of you, you came to Jesus and you wandered away and you said, my life is getting worse and you reattached yourself to Jesus and all of a sudden things started working out. I remember being a young man and knowing that I had a lot of hell that had to be conquered. I recognized that. That there was a lot of hell that had to be conquered. And Jesus told me, I swear on everything good and holy, stick with me. I got you. And I remember that those first seven years of my faith, learning to stay attached to Jesus was defining. I remember those years that that when I wanted to wander and I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to hang out with my buddies like I once did, I realized that if I go in that direction, I'm going to be more lost than I was ever before. But if I stick with Jesus, he's my sanctifier. He's my sanctifier. He's the one that's going to do his work in my life because his work in my life is his will and his purpose for why he created me. Have you ever had that moment? 
And I love when you read Peter's narrative. You, you see this like savior moment, this sanctifier moment. But this is what Jesus says. For the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Jesus is healer. Peter saw it. Peter saw healings. It began with his mother-in-law. Do you know one of the first miracles that Jesus ever performed was for Peter and his mother-in-law? He saw it. You see, whenever we see a healing in the church or in each other's lives or even in our life, it's just Jesus saying, it's all Jesus saying, I'm giving glory to, to God to reveal who I am and who I am in your life. Every time there's a healing, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational healing, Jesus is saying, trust me, I got you. Trust me, I am more than you could ever hope dream, or imagine. Healing. I believe the church in the Western world gave up on Jesus as healer. I know that every time I see a healing, Jesus is saying, and there's more to come. There's more to come. And there's nothing Jesus can't heal. There's nothing Jesus can't heal. And there's nothing Jesus can't do. And when I look at Peter's life, there's these moments of just like big savior, sanctifier, healer. And then all of a sudden he stands up and he's like, you are the Messiah. And my question is to you is like, who's Jesus? Have you lost that? Have you ever had it? Do you need to re-engage and say, I have given up on you working in my life? And today the Holy Spirit's saying, no, he's going to do more. He's going to do more. But you see, when we get to this part of the sermon, it's almost like I need to call Steve up to start playing the keyboards behind me. And this is the altar call because this is the pinnacle of the message. Who, who do you say I am? And Peter steps up and he says, you are the Messiah. And then I need to say, who is Jesus to you? And today you need to make a decision. Is he Savior, Sanctifier, Healer? But then there's a twist. And for some reason, it's always the twist we leave out on Sunday mornings. Because we want you to respond in a manner that we expect you to. Did he just say that? Uh-huh. Look what it says, verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. That's a bad day, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. There was two times in Mark up till now, this plus another time, that Jesus fully revealed who he was. And Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? And then he says, now let me tell you what's about to happen. 
I'm going to be taken. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put to death, and then I'm going to be risen from the grave again. And up until this little discourse that Jesus said, Peter was fully on board. Because Peter didn't see things right side up. He saw them upside down. He had a Jesus that he expected. He had a Jesus that he wanted. He wanted a safe, comfy Jesus that was going to meet all of his temporary needs. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You see, the devil wants to, clear, wants to confuse us in all things. Remember who I talked about? Pan, the God of anxiety. What is anxiety causing people? Confusion. And right here, Pan was messing with Peter. Really? But what was happening to Peter? He was being confused. He was getting anxious. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You see, here's the twist. All of us, including myself, have painted an unhealthy picture of Jesus. And there are times that we have painted a picture so wrongly about who he is that we missed how Jesus is working in our lives. We, we often misunderstand who Jesus is because we want him to be who we expect him to be. Do I get an amen? And we all do that. And here we have Peter, this massive declaration. Because Peter wanted Jesus to leave Caesarea Philippi and go to Jerusalem and take over Jerusalem and take Herod out of the picture and all the authorities and all the powers and that Jesus would start his throne now and Peter would be sitting next to him. But here's what Peter forgot. He forgot Isaiah. He forgot Daniel. He forgot the Psalms. He forgot that, that Jesus was going to be the suffering servant, the Lamb of God that took away the sins of this earth. And that one day he would be exalted after he was put to death and risen to life again. And how often do we misinterpret Jesus? Because he does not fit into our box. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Jesus was not a temporary Savior. He was not this, this potential future Judas of Maccabees. He was the Son of God who came to take away the sins of this world. And in order for there to be an eternal reign, a kingdom reign forever, in order for us to be made right with God, to have eternity starting now here on earth, and then in the afterlife, death had to be defeated. It began at the cross. Where he took all of our sin. He became sin for us. Do you know that's what scripture said? He became sin for us. He who was sinless became sin for us. 
Think about all the stuff you've ever done. Think about all the garbage, all the lies, all the cheating, all the manipulation, everything you've ever done or we have done collectively. He took it to the cross and he who had no sin became sin for us. You know what I would love on the stage? I would love an empty tomb. I would love this big rock rolled away with a painting that was three-dimensional going into the back because it doesn't stop at the cross. We do not have a Savior who died. We have a Savior who gave his life up for us so he would be resurrected, so we could have resurrection life. And Peter didn't get that. All he wanted was this Jesus who meets him in the temporary. And people, a temporary God like Pan will always fail you. But the eternal God who is Jesus will always be present in all things. And we need to ask the question, who is Jesus to me? To you, to us, to 202, to Ramapo Ridge, to Mawa, to Bergen County, to the Northeast, to the United States, to the Western Hemisphere, and to the world. Because who we define who Jesus is to us determines everything. It changes the course of one's life. So let me go back to my beginning illustration. The Lone Ranger, he's not Jesus. Jesus was not the Lone Ranger. He did not take off a mask. We have a God who wants to be known. Jesus said, don't tell anyone now. But we have to remember, leading up to Mark chapter 8, verse 27, people were identifying him. People knew who he was. But he was getting ready to get to Jerusalem and just let it out. I am the one. I am who you say I am. Who did he say that to? Pilate. Right? He said to Pilate, I am the one who you say I am. Answer me. I'll answer you with a riddle. Riddle me this. I am the one who you say I am. And he's a God who wants to be known. He's the God who was. He's the God who is. He wants to be known. He's not hiding. He is declaring right now through the resurrection of his life. And over 500 people saw him after the resurrection. I am God incarnate. He wants to know you. He wants to know you. And he wants you to ask the hard questions. And God is a big enough God to answer your questions. He wants to know you. The question is, are we, including myself, open to who Jesus actually is? Not what others tell us. Not what I want him to be, but when I take the logos, the word of God, and the reign of the spirit of God, and say, I'm going to allow you to teach me who you are. He will always, always, always 
reveal himself. And even when you're not looking for it, he will constantly reveal himself to you. That's what we trust. I trust that every single one in this room, you have had a Kairos moment, and Jesus has been awakening you, and now today he's saying, who do you say I am? Who Jesus is, is often misrepresented by what we want him to be. We have to stop telling Jesus who he is. Because when you tell Jesus who he is and you tell him wrongly who he is, you squash the spirit of God from working in your life. And you limit the ability of what you see God up to in the midst of your trials and your temptations and your hardships and your, and your apathy. We have to step back and say, Jesus, you reveal yourself fully for who you are. Because when you allow him to do that, like Peter, you will say, you are Jesus. And you're going to see it along the way. And the depth of your relationship with Jesus will grow. And you will experience the fullness of life in your maturity in the sanctifying work that he has planned for you. May I have a communion cup? We're going to go into communion. When we take communion today, this is the question we are asking. Communion cups are on the front of the seats. If you don't know where they are, they are in the front of your seats. When Jesus took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do you believe that God so loves the world so much that he came to send his son that anyone who believes in him has eternal life. If you believe that, let's eat together. And then he took his cup. And the cup is a sign of the new covenant. That when we recognize Jesus as the one who redeemed our sin, took our sin upon him, when we take this cup, we are inviting the Holy Spirit to fully reveal who he is. The new covenant is saying, Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus through me. Holy Spirit, do your best work in my life. And as you do your best work, I will declare you the rest of my days. Let's drink. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to wrap this up. And I want to ask you, who do you say Jesus is? I want to challenge you right now. Every eye open. If today was a moment for you that, yeah, I get it a little bit more. Jesus is my Savior. 
He's my sanctifier. He's my, my healer. He's my, he's, my, he's my coming king. If today you just took a step closer and you want to step closer to Jesus like you've never stepped before, I want to invite you to stand right now. I want you to stand. Yep. Amen. Today you're saying, I want to take a step closer to my relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you to stand. Or if today was the message you had to hear because your soul has been bubbling up, I just have to tell Jesus, I love him. I want you to stand too. This is a declaration that we on this journey of faith declare who Jesus is as we continue to grow closer to him every single day. And you standing up today, you just turn your world right side up. Jesus, you are Savior, Sanctifier, Healer. You are my coming King. Jesus, you are my It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.